welcome everyone to our Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. As the University of Alabama saw their 15-game winning streak against the Tennessee Volunteers come to an end inside Neyland Stadium on Saturday evening as the Vols win 52-49 to on a walk-off field goal after the Crimson Tide missed a 50-yarder of their own uh, with roughly 21 seconds to go. It was a back-and-forth ball game. Alabama got off to a slow start, dug a 28-10 to hole, but eventually got the lead 35-34 in the third quarter. And this basically set up a back-and-forth contest for the rest of the game. They did uh, take a 49-42 to lead on Tennessee after a scoop and score by Dallas Turner. It was one of the few uh, defensive highlights for the Crimson Tide, that along with DeMarco Hellams. Uh, interception. Uh, now, they could have had a couple of other turnovers, but the officiating was horrendous, and we'll talk about that later, but it wasn't the entire reason Alabama lost the football game. I think it played a big part, but Alabama did not have a good defensive plan. They did not play well on that side of the ball, and they didn't play completely clean, committing a turnover of their own, which was a really huge play considering it was on uh, punt covers in the first half, and Darius Robinson uh, thought the ball had gone off Kool-Aid McKinstry, tried to field it, and, and, and fumbled it back to Tennessee. And Tennessee cashed that in for a touchdown. Plus, Alabama got backed up due to some of those undisciplined penalties that plagued the Crimson Tide and shanked a punt from James Burnup. And that left Tennessee just a 35-yard field. Uh, and they cashed that one in for a touchdown. So those two were huge plays. So Alabama didn't play clean in special teams, didn't, uh, you know, did not play well defensively. And again, uh, they did win the turnover battle, but the one turnover was huge and they didn't stop the run, which was very disappointing. Uh, I thought that uh, if you had told me going in, one side would have 114 rushing yards, the other would have 182. I would have thought it would have been Alabama over Tennessee, but that did not happen was a mystifying defensive performance from the Tide. And we'll break that down, and we'll break down the return of Bryce Young with my usual cohorts, cohorts pardon me, uh, Thomas the Wizard Watch from the port city of Mobile. Uh, as he does a great job producing and giving us his thoughts and takes on Alabama and from a numbers perspective and from his football knowledge, and William Redfish Barger, a 1992 national champion, and, of course, from 89 to 93, a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide and someone that played in many of these big games against Tennessee. Well, guys, uh, just a very disappointing uh, finish for Alabama. Did not play complimentary football in this game. They showed a lot of guts and tenacity coming back because uh, they, they looked like they were going to get buried there for a while. But again, not enough consistency, not enough, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, good play defensively because, again, we knew this was a really good ball offense, and I got to give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel and his staff. I thought they had a great plan for Alabama and the way to attack the Crimson Tide. And for whatever reason, Alabama was slow to adjust, and uh, Jalen Hyatt had an all-time day for Tennessee, and certainly they ran the ball well. They did just about anything they wanted to do. And honestly, uh, you know, I, I thought Alabama fought, but again, didn't play well enough, and then when you combine that with uh, dubious officiating is all I can say. It wasn't the main reason Alabama lost, but I thought it played a factor, and unfortunately, the Crimson Tide uh, let Tennessee hang around somewhat because if they had taken care of business and played better on defense like I thought they were going to in my prediction before the, the you know, this last week, I thought Alabama defensively would get more pressure. I thought they would tackle better in space and I thought uh, that they would be able to force a couple of turnovers which they did but again they weren't able to uh, always cash those in they did not cash in uh, the interception as a matter of fact but William uh, just a, overall a, a, a disappointing performance from Alabama well <clears throat> there was one person that I wasn't disappointed with um, yeah I, I thought when you Consider the circumstances, the injury, yeah. and the the magician type of play after play after play. That was single handedly the best performance by an Alabama quarterback that I've ever seen. Yeah, he's um, a it's, it's bad. 
it's sad that, you know, uh, the rest of his teammates couldn't produce on the other side of the, the ball. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the one thing I will ding Bill O'Brien for is, you know, 100% of the time, you know, when you're driving down the field, whatever the final kick yardage-wise, you know, ends up being, it, it's got to be you win, you win the game on the field goal or you go to overtime. You don't leave time on the clock. Right. Um, so, you know, they should have – run a couple times. I had plenty of timeouts. Um, but, you know, when you consider the environment, the circumstances, you know, outside of, um, you know, my, I guess, three big takeaways on, you know, how this loss transpired was, and really the only aspect of the officiating that I've got a, you know, a huge issue with, especially under the the cloud of we're supposed to be doing stuff to protect the quarterback these days and, and, you know, all levels of football. I mean, there were easily two or three roughing the passer calls that could have been made on Bryce Young that weren't, um, you know, the, the punt turnover um, was just, if I'm the head coach, that guy gets sent to the bus at the halftime. I mean, that's just unspeakable. And, you know, also 11-1, and one, dropping key passes at critical times that I think both could have led to points, um, you know, were, were the, the biggest reasons on a short list that doesn't include the reasons on defense. Um, you know, I just thought it was a horrible game plan. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. don't know, you know, what they see number two doing in practice. Right. against our wide receivers, but, you know, everybody's always known that, you know, he was more of an in-the-box, strong safety slash hybrid linebacker, Yeah, uh, you know, versus being, you know, a great guy in coverage. I think maybe they fell asleep and thought Minka Fitzpatrick was still playing safety for him. Um, but, you know, after the second touchdown, and, and I don't know what the proper – you know, chess move would have been, but, you know, maybe move Arnold, put, put Helms on the bench, move Arnold to his spot, and, and let McKinstry or Ricks, um, you know, play corner. I found it interesting that, that at, uh, Tennessee only threw one pass to Kool-Aid McKinstry's side of the field all night long. Um, Arnold was targeted um, seven times and Helms six. So, you know, I think they did a pretty good job of, you know, scouting and figuring out who they wanted to pick on, and it wasn't going to be Kool-Aid. And the fact that, you know, so much of this had gone on in the first half and they came back came back out in the second half, and no adjustments were made in that aspect of it. And, and you know, maybe they underestimated the Tennessee offensive line, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, the mush rush and dropping elite pass rushers on the other side into coverage – um, you know, played a part in it. They didn't do the DBs any favors whatsoever because they could not get any pressure. Um, you know, there, there were big chunks. You know, I've got PTSD from looking out there and seeing that stacked wide receiver set on the wide side of the field. I, that, that's – I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating. I don't understand it. Um, you know, Tennessee had zero respect for Alabama's ability to get stops on third and fourth down. They only punted one time. You know, when there were stops, it was, you know, them, you know, missing a pass or stopping themselves. Um, you know, when you look at this stat, I think it says a lot, not so much about the players, but for the, the, the scheme that they were asked to try and produce in yesterday. But 31, 15, and 49, who were three of Alabama's best players on defense, maybe even on the whole team, only had three tackles collectively. Um, I just think that the, um, you know, the, and like you said, Drew, um, they couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't stop the run. Um, pretty much any play that Josh Heupel dialed up was successful. So, you know, I, I think at some point you got to tip your hat to Heupel and his staff. Um, there were a lot of times during the game that I thought their players wanted it more than Alabama's players did. And, um, you know, some of that's coaching, some of that's team culture, but both are established by the head coach. So that's, you know, that's kind of my take on, you know, what, 
you know, like I said, you know, if Bryce Young doesn't play yesterday, that's the ugliest loss in my lifetime probably for an Alabama football team. Well, I do think that it goes back to what I said. We all said Bryce would play, and I said he would – if he did play, they would be able to, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it use the entire playbook because you're 100% right. If Bryce doesn't play in that game, it gets very, very ugly because Tennessee played like the hungrier team, especially early. Now, Alabama did bow their neck, so to speak, and come back from a 28-10 deficit to tie it and then to take the lead on a couple of occasions. And if Alabama wasn't bought into their coaching staff, if they didn't have a strong culture, then uh, they would have gotten blown out of the stadium. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind because Tennessee had a great plan. I give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel and their O-line coach and, you know, that staff. Uh, You know, I I completely agree with you, though, William. It mystified me that why Alabama didn't start trying to bring more pressures and get in the face of uh, Hendon Hooker because you couldn't just leave him clean back there. Um, You know, I thought they were dropping too many people. I thought they should have been more aggressive defensively in sending uh, help. And then, uh, again, Will Anderson was being double and triple teamed at some points. Well, guess what? That means that your guys have to win battles one-on-one. And if you had told me going into the game, William, that DJ Dale, who, by the way, for his sake, has had a pretty decent senior year so far, if you had told me he was going to have Alabama's only sack, I would say you're in big trouble. Because where's Byron Young? Where is the, uh, you know uh, Dallas Turner? Where is uh, Will Anderson yeah, or, or Braswell? Some guys that can really rush the passer. You got to have some, you know, some plays out of them. And as you said, they only had a, those three: Braswell, Turner, and Will. Only had a handful of tackles, no sacks, and so that's just a formula for disaster. And then to continually allow Hyatt. And they didn't even have Cedric Tillman, who's a very good player. To continue to let him get singled up on DeMarco Helms was just a recipe for disaster. You have to make sure a corner is on that kid, uh, you know, and and try to at least slow him down because he's going to – and it doesn't matter because he did it to Branch too. None of Alabama's safeties can run with that kid. And so the lack of adjustments there really bothered me. I I was really surprised. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, I, I don't think Alabama's interior defensive linemen are being developed properly. Uh, we've been critical of Freddie Roach on this show. I know I have. I don't think his recruiting is good enough. I don't think his, uh, you know, his coaching has been good enough. And I thought it was interesting uh, that uh, basically Nick Saban called out the defense and said, you know, that the D, he thought the defense was too soft, especially in the last 21 seconds where they allowed Tennessee to get the two completions. So, and Saban, we know how heavy-handed he is with the defense. It's really, it's on him to fix it. Uh, but uh, again, I just think there's some issues there with, uh, you know, with Freddie Roach. And then I thought Pete Golding's game plan was just not very good at all. And of course, Nick Saban, it's, it's, it's his defense, man. It's his system. He helps formulate those game plans. And hopefully they will learn from this because they got absolutely torched buying the lead offense and they're lucky that their quarterback who's still the standard at the position in college football i'm sorry i think hendon hooker's an outstanding player got great respect for him but he ain't bryce young because i just don't i'm not sure another quarterback in the country william could have done what bryce young did in that game getting away from pressure creating plays and then bringing his team back and nearly winning a game and the team gaining nearly 600 yards of offense yeah, it, it's uh, – and, and, you know, I'm almost to the point now, Drew. I mean, if you go back and look at, um, you know, maybe back to the Auburn game of last year and, and uh, you know, the – you know, take the SEC and the national championship. But the Auburn game last year, um, the Texas game this year and the, and the Tennessee game, you know, it's almost like maybe they need to reevaluate what they're doing, what, what they're – um, thought processes and their routine is on the road because they, I mean, they just continually come out. Um, it's like the, the environment gets the best of them. You know, there's penalties, uh, you know, one illegal procedure after another um, on the offensive side. And, and you know, I'm not going to, I don't have a lot of negative things to say 
um, you know, about the offense yesterday. I thought, you know, outside of some drops and some miscommunications between the receivers and Bryce, um, that, that, you know, they played well enough to win. Um, you know, although there were some untimely drops that I do think would have led to, um, you know, some points. And, oh, got, <clears throat> excuse me, got to give a, you know, a big tip to Cameron Law, too. Um, he still hasn't blocked anybody on a bubble screen in 2022, yeah. but he was a he was a big weapon in the passing game yesterday. Uh, you know, especially the one where you know, he kind of muscled the ball away from the the DB over there on the near sideline. I thought he really stepped up. You know, the young wide receivers, uh, Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond. I still consider Jacory Brooks a pretty young wide receiver. I mean, they they all just you know, really, really played well, in my opinion. Um, and, and, you know, for the most part, I thought it was a, you know, I'm not going to get into running shotgun on the goal line and this, that, and the other. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty good plan offensively. Um, but you just can't go into somebody else's house and, you know, have a special teams turnover that leads to a touchdown and, um, you know, just totally not be able to slow the other team down in most instances. Um, and, and I got news for you. I rewatched the game this morning. And, yeah, you're correct. There was a lot of double teams that went on. But there was a lot of freaking Darnell Wright that played right tackle for Tennessee absolutely one-on-one -on -one with all three of those guys at different phases where he absolutely owned them. So um, it, was, it was a bit of a shock to me. I just wasn't expecting that. Um, and, and more so the plan than anything. Yeah, I can see – you know, mush rushing um, in certain occasions, but I mean, you you got to get some pressure on somebody like that. You know, especially after the first couple of bombs where he just sat back there and had time because it's not like Hyatt's considered a track star. Um, you know, I think Tillman's supposed to be their speed guy, and uh, you know, just running the same play over and over and over again. And you know, there was a couple of times they ran it that, you know, if the pass had been a little bit more accurate, they would have connected more. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – uh, and it should be fair, I do think Hyatt's got really good speed. I mean, he's a really good player. Uh, he's developed quite a bit. i got to give Heifel credit and his coaching staff for developing the kid. And they've got a young wide receivers coach who's done that. But I think they schemed Alabama up pretty good. And it's and you mentioned it earlier in the conversation uh, – you know, in, in your first comments that they obviously watched a lot of film and they were waiting to exploit DeMarco Helms in coverage. And they certainly, they went after Terry on, but I didn't think, think Terry on played terribly. Uh, I think it was basically just, they wanted to exploit Alabama safeties and they certainly did that with DeMarco Helms and Alabama should have started bringing more pressure in my opinion, trying to move, uh, you know, uh, hooker off his spot and not give him all day to throw. And they really didn't. They just basically rushed three or four guys and didn't get much pressure. Uh, and Tennessee was much more aggressive. And that's why they were able to move Bryce off his spot. But Bryce did a Houdini act, being able to free himself. He didn't turn the ball over. And if Alabama hadn't made the mistake, you know, in the, in the, in the kicking game, they wouldn't have turned it over at all. That, that probably would have been good enough to win the game because it would have kept Tennessee from scoring that touchdown. Maybe Alabama scores. And then you win the turnover battle two to nothing. Uh, but I just will say this, in all honesty, though, and William, I get your thoughts, but I mean, I thought Alabama did a good job playing through the officiating because they got too many penalties. I'm not saying they've got to clean that up. I think nine or 10 of them were, you know, legit, but they got called for 17. Some of them were, you know, uh, just judgment calls, some of them were egregious. Uh, and I agree with you, some of them weren't called. You made the point already. I mean, we've seen all these rough in the passers. It would have been a first and goal for Alabama when Bryce Young on third down got hit in the head, not by the defensive lineman. I'm talking about the arm that swung and hit him in the neck and the head because they've been saying everything above the neck is a personal foul. They didn't call that, and I've seen that called. And then the defensive lineman, I don't know how many times I've, I've already seen these Tennessee fans saying that, uh, oh, oh, he hit him with the shoulder. He hit him. It was helmet to helmet. You could see the helmet hit Bryce Young. And so we've seen that. If, if, if it's not targeting, then it's at least roughing the passer. And they didn't call either one of them, which I thought was egregious. And then, um, you know, 
I just thought that the, the, the pass interference that really turned the game, because Alabama had already picked him off once, and then they had gotten the scoop and score. It looked like Alabama was going to hold on that fourth down. They moved. They For once, they did get pressure and move him off his spot. He threw the ball up there to give his guy a chance, which is what Hooker's supposed to do. Threw a pretty good ball, and I didn't think it was interference. I thought that Malachi Moore turned and played the ball and tipped it. And I and my and my program director, Steve Moulton, was at the game. He shot it from field level. They didn't even throw a flag until about 20 yards into Kool-Aid McKinstry's return. And then they turn around and say, oh, by the way, there's no block in the back on the return, but there is pass interference, which I thought was garbage. And then also, and as I tweeted, you know you're in trouble earlier in the game when they can't even count to four and they were about to give Tennessee another down when it was fourth down and they had to go back and look at it for 10 minutes and see what down it actually was when Alabama had stopped Tennessee. So I just thought on top of it, that, that the officiating was as bad as I've seen. It was, it was really on borderline incompetent. And it, it did play a role in Alabama losing. It's not the only reason they did, because you already talked about it, William. If you catch the ball and if you make plays late and if, you're, and if you do a couple of things better defensively, you win the game anyway, especially if, you, uh, you know, you, if Gibbs gets that first down. on If he catches the ball and gets the first down, you're going to get a first down. You're going to run the clock all the way down and have a chance to kick a field goal to either win it or go to overtime, more than likely win the game. So Alabama still had their opportunities. But I thought, honestly, that some of the officiating was atrocious. And I'm sorry, 17 penalties to six. I just didn't think it was that big a discrepancy. And I thought some of the judgment calls went against Alabama, including one where it, right after they got the scoop and score, excuse me, I'm pardon me, I believe it was right after the interception, well, Brian Branch stripped the running back and got the fumble, but yet they blow it dead. And before that, they had let Tennessee push the pile for five yards and didn't even blow the whistle. So I just thought the officiating was very, very dubious uh, at best. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the stuff that they were letting go on, you know, as far as the, the Tennessee defenders hitting Bryce high um, was, was pretty obvious. And then, you know, if you want to go by their standard today, pretty dangerous in my opinion. Um, right. You know, and if you're gonna and if you're gonna call that, be consistent and, and and precise about it. And you know, I don't necessarily have a problem um, because that's basically the the trend that I've seen. Um, you know, this year and hell, if I was Bill O'Brien, I'd start making it part of my weekly game plan. I'd have three or four throws a game that were 50-50 deep balls. And, and, you know, pray that you get equal treatment by the refs and they throw the flag on the other defense instead of Alabama every time because, you know, that seems like what it is. Uh, but, yeah, that was my big problem. It wasn't that they called the pass interference. You know, they kept the flag in their pocket until somebody was like, oh, shit, this could possibly be a pick six. Right, um, exactly. You know, it was, a good th- it was a good three to five seconds after the so-called pass interference was committed, but – you know, and, and, and to be honest with you, I uh, I, I think Nick, Sh- Nick Saban should take the financial penalty and, and go public with it, um, you know, if, if, if he thinks it was that big of a factor in the game because a lot of – they, they let Tennessee have 12 men on the field one time. Yeah, they did. Um, that, that they didn't call. So, you know, it's, it's – uh, you know, I, I think if you go into a game like that and you're the road team, you probably expect – one or two home cooking calls, but like you said, it was, you know, extremely lopsided yesterday. I, I thought it was extremely lopsided, you know, when they went out to Texas as well. But that that, that doesn't change the narrative, in my opinion, that, you know, I think they've got to go back and start from scratch or make some severe adjustments as to, you know, what they're doing um, to go prepare in a hostile environment and, and you know, I, I say that in in the one sense, um, you know, they, they kind of looked like that versus Texas A&M at home last week. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think they're catching a, you know, a Mississippi State team this weekend that had their bubble burst last night a little bit. So, um, you know, we'll see which one of these two teams this coming Saturday that can respond. Well, and I think you make a great point. I think, Somebody did point out that on that 12 men on the field that Alabama did call timeout because they wanted to, to to do something different offensively. But 
that's a reviewable play that if they go back and uh, and uh, look at it on film, they still could have flagged Tennessee. But of course they didn't. Uh, and you know, and as you said, there was just I thought it was just too egregious. Some of it, I and I and and you know, I I thought the rules were anything above the shoulders. If you hit the quarterback, it was a personal foul or a roughing the passer. But obviously, they decided to swallow their whistles with Bryce. Uh, and Bryce played through it. I mean, that just shows, once again, more of his competitiveness uh, and, and how good he is. And I just thought that he – I agree with you, William. I, I, I have no problem with Bryce Young. Matter of fact, I, unlike I, you and I differ a little bit. I, I understand where you're coming from about running the ball and running it down to the last few seconds and kicking it on to, as a walk-off. But Tennessee was blitzing, and I, I, I trust Bryce Young. I trust him. He's the best player on the team. Uh, he's the best off the best quarterback in college football. And I trust him to make the right decision. He did on the third down before that to Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, it's just this time Gibbs didn't make the catch. If he does, I don't think we're having this conversation. But that's football. And, you know, that unfortunately just wasn't Alabama's night because they still would have found a way to win, I think. And, and there's people that are getting irritated at Will Riker, too. Look, man, it's a 50-yard kick on the road. It was a tough kick. He made the first two kicks, and if they could have got closer, I think he would have drilled the third. I know he has the ability to make that kick. I've seen him do it, and I, I was hoping that he would, but it never shocks me if you miss a 50-yard field goal attempt. Those are just very, very difficult. Uh, and so I'm not by any stretch uh, getting giving up on Will Riker. It's, Will Riker didn't lose the football game. Alabama made enough mistakes before that, and then they allowed Tennessee to hang around because of those mistakes. And when they did, then the officiating uh, kind of was the was uh, the deciding factor in some ways with some of those you know calls down the stretch. I mean, Tennessee played very well, but again, Alabama could have scored more points. They could have uh, you know cut out some of those stupid you know false start penalties and motion penalties and done better and caught the football early and then uh, and punched some things in, but they didn't. And so again. Uh, I just you have to just uh, kind of clean it up and move on. And the one good thing for Alabama is they have everything in front of them. But you made a great point. They're playing Mississippi State, who is a good team. But I think they did get their bubble burst by Kentucky. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if this Alabama team comes back with a vengeance and, you know, where Mississippi State is, no doubt. But uh, it's going to be an interesting game inside Bryant-Denny. And, and, and uh, Thomas, I wanted to bring you in. I know you've been waiting to give us some of your thoughts. I know you've been kind of, you know, taking it all in. You've studied the game some. What were your thoughts and what, what bothered you the most about this loss for Alabama? Well, so, so full disclosure, I was not able to watch the entire game live. Uh, I am the president of the School of Computing Alumni Association at the University of South Alabama, and it was our homecoming, so I had to handle some tailgate business. But I was able to find a television and watch the end. But my big takeaway from this game is that some of the things that we had talked about, even going back to last year, some of the stuff that, okay, we probably need to correct this. We probably need to take a look at this. This might be an issue. They all came together in one glorious orgy of screwballness over four hours in Knoxville, Tennessee, and here we have it. This team, for some reason, you want to call it mental weakness. You want to call it flaw in the preparation. You want to call it whatever the hell you want to call it. Alabama on the road is no longer a meme. It's not a joke. It's a serious problem. I was there for the Texas game. Alabama looked like they didn't give a damn. I literally was asking people, do they look like they care on the sideline? What is this? The LSU game, or no, not the, well, LSU was at home. The Auburn game last year. The, and then this now this game in Knoxville. I'm telling you, I don't know what the point spread's going to be against the LSU Tigers or against the Ole Miss Rebels later this year, but there is no way Alabama covers that number. Like, th th it's just not going to happen. This team gets into its feelings to a level that I don't fully grasp and does not execute at a high level on the road. And how do I know that? Well, not just the score, 
Alabama has a penchant for penalties. And part of that is Alabama wants to make corners go on islands. And if a wide receiver contorts his body and a DB kind of has hand on a hip or something, pass interference, 15 yards, move on with your life. That's the nature of college football, but you know, come on, guys. If you know, like, it, it, this isn't new. This is not a new thing. You have to be able to adjust. This is championship football, and you, you know, you have that. You look at the defense. I honestly, I thought this team was going to be able to slow Tennessee down more than they did. Yeah. But the Tennessee offense is actually predicated. Shout out to a gentleman in the bunker. You know who you are, who said the Tennessee offense has to stay balanced and has to be able to run the football effectively. And Alabama to, you know, yesterday had been an elite run defense. They couldn't slow that down. They couldn't do whatever. And this is really the second thing that we've talked about ad nauseum about Pete Golding. The Golding system will turn in a top 10 defense by the end of the year. He can, he can get that straight, but there always is one, maybe there are two or three, Pete Golding games, and I'm, I, I'm making it a thing where either the game plan isn't good enough or the players are not in the right frame of mind or what the hell ever. I don't really care what the specifics are. It's that the team on defense looks god-awful. Pete Golding has been generally very poor at switching his pitch. Uh, and what do I mean by that? If a defense started moving the ball on Jeremy Pruitt's defense, he was sending the house every time. He was like, I need to gain back momentum. I'm going to send six or seven. If the quarterback burns us, the quarterback burns us. But the quarterback's going to have two seconds to burn us, if that. So, you know, Alabama's not really able in defense to change their pitch very effectively. And I didn't see a lot of that yesterday. I don't really understand some of the we must stay the same way because it was obvious from, you know, from my television viewing. And I rewatched the game, which was one of the least fun things I've had to do in a few weeks. And it, it just stood out even more. Then on offense, look, I know Alabama had 580, 570, whatever yards. But Bill O'Brien, really, his offense is so sophomoric and so easy. And this is the thing that really jumped out to me in that Texas, the Texas coordinator group, said Alabama's easy to scheme for. It's because most of what Alabama does is basic as hell. And that would be cool, except that generally Alabama's offense devolves into Bryce Young being the best player in college football. I mean, if you switch quarterbacks, as good as Hendon Hooker was yesterday, Tennessee wins by so much, it's hilarious. It looks like Clemson-Bama 44-16. So, I mean, I think everybody outside of Bryce Young needs to have some serious soul-searching. The offense is unimaginative and based on NFL reads with a bunch of kids that can't spend 40 hours a week learning offense and predicated on Bryce Young being not just the best player on the field, but so much better than everyone else that it's comedy. The defense schematically is, you know, basic nonsense that refuses to adjust. And then, I'm sorry, I'll put a, I'll put a point on it here. If 31's the best player in college football, when, if he is, and let's just assume that premise is true, he disappeared last year when the defense struggled against Texas A&M. He was the cause of the struggles against Texas. And then last night against the Tennessee Volunteers, when superstar players have to make superstar plays, where were you? This was a cacophony of issues that finally came together, got Alabama beat. There needs to be some serious soul-searching in the Malmore Athletic Building. Now, let's talk about some positives. You've got a week to figure it out. You've got a team coming in that is reeling a little bit. Show me something. We said a lot of the same stuff coming out of the Texas A&M game this past season. Or season ago, excuse me. And Alabama still made the national title game. Now, they certainly had to hold on to your butts for a few of those late season games. But there's a whole lot of bad that came out of yesterday. 
And there are a whole lot of folks that really need to justify their paychecks this week, Drew. Well, it certainly wasn't a performance that uh, we were all anticipating. Uh, I don't think all is lost. I don't think the program's falling apart. I don't really give a damn what the national media says, like Dan Woken and the rest of these clowns, you know, Woken's taking shots at Saban. And, and Saban deserves some of it. He's the head coach. We understand that. But again, I still have confidence that he can fix the issues. Um, you know, Alabama lost the game by three, not 33. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, they lost to a good team. I think Tennessee has got a good football team. Not Still not sure they're better than Georgia. Uh, I don't think their defense is very good. Alabama shredded them. Um, you know, I, and again, I know some people have been, and uh, including yourself, Thomas, have been critical of B.O.B., and that's fine. Uh, but I, they had 569 yards of offense, and uh, they didn't run it quite as well as I thought they would. I'll admit that. Uh, but they were able to move the football. And, again, you can say, well, he's got Bryce Young to cover up for. He put Bryce Young in position to make plays. He he schemed the stuff up. Bryce made the plays. Bryce did a great job. Uh, and so uh, – and, and I just really think that, uh, that, you know, if his scheme wasn't great uh, or wasn't good enough for Bryce, then even a, a great player like Bryce Young could be mismanaged. Because, look, think about Bill Curry with Tim Couch running the option. So it's not anything that's that bad. And I know you're wanting to come back and talk about some of the total yardage stuff. But again, I, while I don't think, you know, B.O.B. Uh, is without, you know, you can, you can criticize the end of the game. I understand that. But I still think Alabama moved the football quite well throughout the game. And again, he can't, he can't catch it for them. If they make some catches, then I don't think we're even talking about this. And I think, I thought he still put the ball in his best player's hands, and I thought that's what you got to do. Because when, to me, when Bryce Young on second down and 10 is throwing to Jameer Gibbs, that's your two best players and your two most dynamic guys, and that's who needs to have the ball in their hands to try to close the game out, in my opinion. Certainly. I, I, okay, I have no problem with Jameer Gibbs on an angle route on second down. That, that, I thought that was a good play call. My thing with the total yards is that more often than not, they're excruciatingly difficult to, to acquire. You know, I, I go back to previous offensive coordinators, and Lord knows there have been occasions to complain about them too. So it's not like it's, you know, it's all one-sided nonsense. It's that, you know, when's the last time a Bill O'Brien schemed a guy wide open that wasn't like a slant into an RPO? Like, when's the last time something like that happened? And that, that's what I mean. A lot of the yards that Alabama accrues is based off of individual greatness players because of complexity. On top of that, and this is really where it kind of drives me nuts, this goes into the road-bama problem. Alabama consistently on the road takes the play clock down to below five seconds, trying to adjust and get into the absolute perfect play, which lets the defense tee off on Bryce Young because they're not having to guess the snap count. They're not having to do anything. They know it's under five. If the ball moves, go. Or And I realize that would be a snap infraction, but that's my point. This team, the coaches have said, prefers tempo. As you watch that game develop yesterday, you know, 21-7 or whatever, 21-10, excuse me. Again, I was spotty for the first half of the score of the game. Okay, cool. We're going to have to score. It feels like one of those games that Alabama has to go score 60 to win. We're most comfortable in a tempo situation where we're just up and down the field. All right, our defense is terrible for whatever reason. Tennessee, if you can go score 70, we'll only score 60. We're going to go tempo and the hell with everything else. That sort of inability to understand how the game flows has been a central part of criticism surrounding Bill O'Brien. Now, do I think it's completely unsolvable? No. But I certainly think that the criticism needs to be passed around for all of this. I would kill for some non-excruciating Bryce Young having to be Houdini in the pocket yards this upcoming week against Mississippi State, Drew. Well, I understand that, but I also think that uh, a lot of the older receivers, like I'm done with Trayshawn Holden, he should have had a huge catch to oh. 
that uh, for 20 plus yards that would have dug them out of a hole and where they don't have to punt it short to Tennessee. Of course, we didn't see a lot of him for the majority of the game until the end. He caught a 20 yarder, but he's not any good. He doesn't separate. The young guys are the ones like Kobe Prentice and Bond, and they're still making mistakes with routes and stuff, but at least they've shown some playmaking ability. You need to continue to see more of them. And of course, William, I wanted to bring you back about this. Uh, we still haven't seen Tyler Harrell. We haven't seen Aaron Anderson. I'd like to see some more of these young guys at some point, because to me, I, 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 and I, I think you'll agree with me on this, William. I was, I have been totally disappointed in Jermaine Burton. He's not even close to a John Mechie with his playmaking ability and his toughness. He has not been the addition everybody thought from the portal, and we haven't seen any of Tyler Harrell. So, so far, uh, Alabama has had nothing from those two guys. And these upperclassmen wide receivers, I and I, I tend to agree with you with Ja'Cory Brooks. I still kind of put him with the underclassmen because he's just a sophomore. But these older guys that have been in the program uh, just aren't getting it done. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to have the same thoughts about uh... – Tyler Harrell that I did about Camar Wheaton last year. Are we sure Harrell's even on campus? <laughs> hey, somebody even brought up Deron Carter. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I would agree with with Burton. And you know, one of the things that that kind of drives me nuts about him is, you know, he, he's always bitching about pass interference and, um, you know, the the play yeah. against Texas A and M where he responded, where if he had just sat there, it would have gone against the other guy. Um, but no, I mean, you, you can see these young guys coming. In fact, the about the only time I think I yelled at my TV yesterday at Bryce was when he let that pass go to uh, Bond in the first quarter over there on the on the Alabama sideline. I was like, damn it, you overthrew him by five yards. But obviously he knows just how fast the bond is, and I don't because he ran right under it, and it was a beautiful completion. And, you know, we, JoJo Earl got involved a little bit more yesterday. I'd like to see, you know, them, um, you know, give him some more targets. I'd like to know where in the hell Roydell Williams was last night. Not that, yeah, yeah. you know, I think yeah. Alabama needed a, you know, a lot of help at the running back position. But, um, you know, I, I do think he's earned some touches. But um, – you know, I, I think that I agree with Thomas to a certain extent. I, I do think there's, you know, ways Bill O'Brien could maybe make things easier um, on this offense to, you know, score points and, you know, put up big numbers. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do not think, uh, um, you know, Tennessee was a great offense. I mean, excuse me, a great defense. I was surprised. Uh, you know, they had to stack the box and do a lot of run blitzing and stuff to make it happen. And, you know, Gibbs and, and uh, Jace were still able to, uh, you know, pop some big runs on them. I was expecting a little bit more run production than 114. But, you know, that's still not anything to really complain about. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that um, outside of Bryce Young, uh, who, who basically manages and dictates everything over there on the offensive side of the football, you know, who's, who's the vocal leader on defense? You know, who's the vocal leader on special teams? Um, you, you just don't see anybody else having command of that, of those other units, the way that Bryce does um, on the offensive side of the football. And it did, it, it was painful to, uh, you know, see the disappointment in his eyes when that freaking Phil Necro knuckleball managed to eke over the crossbar to the game-winning field goal. Um, you know, he's he's given so much of himself and has been such a great, you know, teammate, representative of the University of Alabama. You just want to see things, you know, finish on a good note for him. And, and like Thomas said, um, it's going to be a tough road. Uh, but, you know, a win Saturday night will put them that much closer to securing the West. And, you know, having an opportunity to get back to Atlanta. And um, I also agree with Thomas. I think it's going to be Georgia that's going to win the East, not this Tennessee team. Yeah, I, I would still, uh, you know, uh, like to – I still think that um, you're definitely going to see Georgia win that game. I, I just don't think Tennessee is good enough on defense because, Thomas, I'll bring you back in on this. I – 
Georgia is is more explosive this year offensively. Now they don't run it as well as they did a year ago, but Tennessee, their defense is not any good. Okay, I I, I know they stopped Alabama's run to a degree and slowed it down. They didn't stop it; they just slowed it down. But I wasn't impressed with them defensively at all, and I think them having to go on the road and play in Athens. That's going to be a really tough environment. I think Kirby will be more aggressive defensively uh, and pr- try to pressure Hendon Hooker. And uh, I just think they all, it almost happened to him against Pitt where they didn't quite do enough offensively, but they got it cooking in the second half and then got it to overtime and then won the game. But I just I, – that one of these games, Tennessee is going to be off offensively and really the only team I think left on the schedule that can beat them if it if it's – if they're slowed down a little bit, is Georgia. And, I mean, I may be proven wrong. Tennessee may prove they can go on the road and beat the Dogs. But I, I just think if you the way they, Tennessee plays offensively, you're, you're going to have a game where you're a little off. Maybe it was the pit, just the pit game, but I don't like their chances going to Athens and winning. I think that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, I think that Kirby Smart is a far and away better defensive coordinator than Pete Golding. And I think that he will be able to adjust that group. I think that Georgia's safeties are more ball hawks than DeMarco Hellams as a, you know, a, a, what's the, the Clemson wide receiver that now play, or linebacker. Renfro. Oh, the li- yeah. Yeah, it's it's the, not for Renfro, the. Uh, I bet you were talking about wide receivers. Yeah, no, the, the, the linebacker safety that caused Alabama fits a few years back. He played for the, he was drafted by the Cardinals and his name escapes. Yeah. But anyway, right. that, that, that's kind of Hellum's game. Hellum's you, you can put him on a tight end. You might put him on a wide receiver if you've got a ton of pressure, but you don't want him just, you know, trying to cover, trying to check a good slot receiver for three, four, five seconds. That, that's just not his game. It's never going to be his game. Kirby can adjust. will be able to adjust to that. And the thing is, that, that's that's one of the things, that's one of the criticisms. I'll be interested to see. I mean, it, what do we always say, Drew, on this program? Alabama has been the hunted since 2009. They've been the front runner. They get no calls. They get penalties statistically called against them more than their opponents. All of that stuff, all of that nonsense. And how many times has an opponent suddenly become the hunted versus the hunter? And, oh, my God, Kentucky gets real focused because Tennessee's top five, and Kentucky gives them a game. Now, Georgia's going to get all of their attention because that's probably going to be de facto for the West. But I think it's going to be a heck of a game. And outside of Neyland, this could be a different football game because tempo, fast tempo in a roaring environment is going to lead to one of two things. An ocean of points... Or the opposite, an ocean of three and outs. And Georgia has enough offensive prowess to lean on the Tennessee Volunteers' defense and just break them. You know, Georgia is – they can't run it as effectively, but, you know, show me a guy on Tennessee that's going to be able to check Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington because those those guys are going to be the types of people that the Tennessee defense does not want to see. It'll be a tough thing, but we'll see. I mean, this was this was a shocker. I think if you're being honest, if three or four things went a little bit differently, not the least of which being if Alabama only had seven or eight penalties versus 17, the game turns out differently. And if that's your margin for error at home, that's going to be real tough to duplicate on the road, Drew. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a, uh, a heck of a game. But this Mississippi State game is going to be interesting, too. Alabama's done a lot of stuff to rush three, drop eight, and tackle short. You know, force that to happen. Is that going to be good enough against Mississippi State? Because Will Rogers has been in this system for basically ever at this point. Is that going to be good enough? If it's good enough, Alabama will win going away. If it's a dogfight, here we go again. Can Pete Golding and Nick Saban make some in-game adjustments to slow this offense down, or is it going to be another one of these, hey, Bryce, go score 50 and we'll win the game sort of scenarios? 
Well, I don't think it's going to be that, Thomas. Look, I watched that Kentucky game, and <laughs> Will Rogers is not in the class of Hendon Hooker, and they don't have anybody like Jalen Hyatt. Uh, they they have some good players, but they're not nearly as explosive offensively as Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee will be as good an offensive team as Alabama has seen uh, all year long. Uh, I don't think with even with Ole Miss, Ole Miss is more ground oriented. I watched them chew up Auburn yesterday, a lot of that, and I'm not impressed with Jackson Dart as a quarterback. It'll come down to whether Alabama can stop the run against Ole Miss. If they can contain the run, then they'll have a good chance of winning that road game. LSU, they are what they are. I still think they're a mixed bag. Alabama has to go to Tiger Stadium. I understand that. But Tennessee crushed that team in Tiger Stadium. If Alabama's prepared to play, they'll do the same thing. I don't think – I think LSU's a paper tiger. They don't have much up front, and uh, they don't – their defense is the first line guys are good, but they still give up tons of points and yards. I mean, look at what Anthony Richardson did to them. I don't see them containing Alabama. I see that being another should be an impressive win for the Tide, but we'll see. Let me just let me just say the reason I would be concerned about Mississippi State is that Alabama's rush three, drop eight into zone and rally to the football tackle has worked the past two years. I imagine it's going to work this upcoming weekend. The problem is if it doesn't work, I feel like it's just going to be this look on the side of, well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, what do you want to do? Well, maybe we should adjust this. And by adjust it, you mean rush two and drop nine. Because there's a serious lack of ability to read a game amongst the Alabama defensive coaching staff that I don't know how you fix. That's, that's really the problem here. If the first line thing works, awesome. If you got to change your pitch, buckle up. We're in for it. That's that was my whole point with that. Do I think the drop, the rush three, drop eight is going to work? Yeah, I do. I'm not. I, Alabama should win this game. But if it doesn't, I have very little faith in the ability for the Alabama defensive coaching staff to change their pitch. That was my whole point, Drew. That's all. Now LSU. Yeah. Ask me what it looks like after the bye week because the other part of this we haven't talked about is the Tennessee game ends a three-game grinder stretch, and Mississippi State's going to be a good one this upcoming weekend. Playing ranked teams, playing teams that give you your best shot over and over every week, that does have a cost. You know, you got there's only so much emotion in an 18 to 22 year old kid. So, you know, if Alabama can get out into that bye week and kind of get refreshed. I think it'd be fair to expect a win, but we got to see what the team looks like after. How do they respond from this defeat in Knoxville, Drew? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and that's my whole point. How is this team going to respond? Are they going to come back with a vengeance? I would think they would because, especially defensively, they had to be embarrassed with how they played. Um, you know, that's not up to the Alabama standard. Uh, there were some guys that played well, but not enough. Uh, you know, I. I still think Alabama, you know, it, it won't be a pretty game. I could see a 38-13 to 13 type, uh, you know, result against Mississippi State for one. And then the other thing, Will Rogers is not mobile like Hendon Hooker. He's going to have a harder time getting going. And I know they have some bets back on that Mississippi State defense, but uh, they had a hard time stopping the run. Uh, you know, Chris Rodriguez ran all over them. And then, and then when he had to, Will Levis made some plays with his arm. I definitely think Bryce can do that as long as the O-line, you know, gives him a, an opportunity. And I think they will. I think it's a solid Mississippi State team. But as per usual, I think they're overmatched in, in many areas. And especially coming into Bryant-Denny Stadium, I think Mississippi State's about to take their 15th straight L. But, William, just your thoughts. I know we're you're, we're getting ready to wind this down. But what are your thoughts on the matchup with Mississippi State? And I – yeah, I don't know if you saw any of that Kentucky game, but uh, I, I, we did reference that they kind of had their bubble burst, and Alabama's going to have to get back up. But you, your thoughts on Alabama rebounding against uh, MSU? Uh, I mean, I expect them to rebound. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, that offense, just like you said, is, is anywhere near as explosive. Um, you know, Rodgers isn't a dual-threat guy, but I will say this. 
the kid's tough as nails. Alabama absolutely bludgeoned him last year. Yeah, and yeah. there was there, there were some brief periods of time where he did have to go over there and let his ribs unseparate or his brain unscramble, but he kept coming back for more and, and you know earned my respect from that standpoint. Good but point. you know, I, I think Alabama's going to probably win this game, thirty-eight to seventeen, somewhere around that 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 thing. And um, and, and I'll say this: if if because uh, because I think that Georgia's secondary. Um, we'll find out this weekend, but it looks to me like Georgia's secondary is a lot better than the secondary that Alabama faced at the end of last year two times. I think Malachi Starks is the best true freshman corner in the country. Uh, they seem to do a lot better job of, you know, turning their heads and, and looking for the ball than, than Alabama's corners do. But, I mean, shit, if, if uh, Josh Heifel can, can, you know, either win that game or lose by less than a touchdown – go ahead and cast the vote for his SEC Coach of the Year. I mean, what he's been able to do with this program uh, from where he got there and, and build on a little bit of momentum uh, last year and, and, you know, kind of basically doing it on, you know, just one side of the football um, is, has been a pretty impressive thing to watch. He's going to have, you know, I mean, there's, there's already rumors that Oklahoma boosters want to part ways with Brent Venables and take him while they can get him. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I think Alabama will respond. Um, you know, it's at home. Um, the weather's going to be nice. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, Coach Saban will be able to sell, um, you know, what's still left out there in front of them that they can, uh, you know, go out there and capture and, and uh, you know, get right back to, you know, they, they could sell the A&M game last year, um, you know, to last night. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think that, uh, um, you know, LSU, you know, they, they really, barring some unforeseen disasters, you know, they're really already out of it for the um, – um, well, no, they're not either, now that I think about it. Who did they lose to? They lost to Florida State and Tennessee. Tennessee. That's their own. Yeah, that, they, shit, they don't even have a West loss yet. So I didn't even think about that. Um, but, you know, let, let's just focus on the Bulldogs this weekend and then we can, you know, move on and have a chance to catch their breath with an off week and, you know, get everybody undinged up. But, um, like I said, I, I'm looking forward to that Tennessee Georgia game this weekend. I mean, if he can get that team back up and go over there and, you know, make that a respectable game, um, that'd be really impressive to me. Cause that's, I mean, last night was, uh, um, you know, kind of a, a, a exorcism, uh, so to speak, of a lot of bad years for Tennessee football. And you know, um, I, 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 you know, I never would have thought Josh Heifel was a guy um, that could go and and you know rectify a program that was in the situation that Tennessee was in. I mean, they were as low as you can just about go two years ago when he got that job. Yeah, and and I will correct you a little bit there. And it's my fault. I, I wasn't specific. I, I did look, say and look ahead to Georgia. But the Georgia game's in three weeks. Uh, they have to play and UT Martin, and that's a layup for Tennessee. That's actually perfect after Alabama because you can, you can rest some guys, go out there, take care of business. Then they host Kentucky. And Kentucky, just to me, doesn't have enough firepower to be able to – because even last year in, in Lexington, Kentucky – I think had the ball for 40 plus minutes. Tennessee only had it for like 16 and still won the game 45, 42. So to me, Tennessee and Knoxville is going to be too tough for Kentucky. That game in week 10, which is going to be at Georgia to me with the way Georgia's schedule sets up, because William, as you know, we've talked about Georgia's schedule. It's not that difficult. They do have to play Florida right the week before they play uh, Tennessee, but come on. Uh, Florida is not that good. That's not going to be much of a game for, for the dogs this year. They're going to whip uh, the Gators, in my opinion, in Jacksonville. And so when you look at that and you look at the, and you take into account uh, that Georgia is going to be on an off week this week, I just think it's going to be a battle of unbeatens. And I agree with you. It's a fascinating matchup 
uh, with Georgia and the, and the way they play, especially defensively with their aggression, and then this Tennessee offense. I want to see, can they get some stops, and how will their home crowd affect the Vols? Uh, because Thomas made a point earlier in the conversation that, you know, when you look at it, uh, Tennessee's gone to pit, but they haven't really been tested on the road because that's not a very good LSU team, and they and they played it at 11 a.m., and they crushed them. And you got to give them credit, though. They crushed LSU. But watching them go to Georgia is going to be pretty fascinating because, uh, you know, if, t- if Tennessee can give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter and they get by Georgia, you, you, you and I, we used to talk about this. Philip Fulmer made a, a, a career off of this. If he could get past Florida, which wasn't often, and then beat Alabama, a lot of times the toughest part of Tennessee's schedule was on the front end. The back end was much easier, and they could cruise in to the SEC championship game or, you know, a big-time bowl. So it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens in, in a few weeks when Georgia plays Tennessee. I'll just say, no disrespect to Kentucky and, of course, in Florida, but I, don't ex- I wouldn't expect either one of these teams to lose, and I think they're going to be unbeaten. Yeah, no, and, and I, I agree with you. I, I do think Billy Napier has kind of stabilized that pro, Florida, uh, Florida oh, program a little too. bit. I think they're, they're going to be good in the future, yeah. They're, 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 they're kind of where I think Heupel had Tennessee last year. You know, they're able to come out and give you the business for the first half, and then things kind of um, start to fade a little bit. I mean, they've still got some roster upgrades that they need to do. And, um, you know, you never know which version of, of – uh, Brian Kelly's bipolar coaching uh, decisions you're going to get, um, you know, against LSU. But, um, you know, it's going to be an it's This has me all screwed up, guys. I mean, I can remember, you know, when Fulmer was at Tennessee, the damn cocktail party was, you know, pretty early in the season, like, you know, end of September. And, uh, you know, Auburn playing Georgia the first weekend in October versus two weeks before the Iron Bowl. Yeah. You know, they've, they've really got this thing twisted up for me. Yeah, they, there's no doubt about it. And, Thomas, uh, what do you, I, I just checked the line. Alabama's already a 21-and-a-half-point favorite against Mississippi State at home. What is your feel for the matchup? So, I, I want to be very clear. I think Alabama has – the ability to take a first pitch defensive game plan that really makes it tough on Mississippi State. I just have very little faith in the ability for this defensive staff to make coherent in-game adjustments, um, even at home. But I don't think they're going to have to. I, I think this is a game where w- – what do you want to believe? Do you want to believe that the Alabama Crimson Tide are still in the national title fight or has everybody cast their NIL check and we're marking time until the NFL draft in, you know, six, eight months? I like to believe, frankly, that everybody's still in for the national title game and NIL has nothing to do with it. So give me, statistically, I think Alabama can cover this number at home particularly if Bryce Young continues to do Bryce Young things. Give me Alabama 45, Mississippi State 21. Well, yeah, 45-24. That'll work. Right on the number, real close to it. That's pretty much what uh, uh, the, the Vegas thinks. So I, th- I think this one, if, if it's a get-right game, if it turns into a get-right game, all the better. The, my concerns are no longer concerns, but – there are questions that need answering. Until we see an answer on the field, they stand tall as Alabama heads into Mississippi State at home, Drew. Well, we'll see. I think we're going to find out a lot about this team internally and how they approach it. Again, I'll go 38-13 Alabama. I think they're going to tackle much better. I think they're going to be able to keep Mississippi State in front of them. Uh, I think hopefully this is going to be a pride thing for this defense and that they need to get better and get right. Um, certainly there's a lot of uh, things that need to be fixed on defense. I still think this offense is one of the best in the SEC, uh, and I think they'll be able to run it and throw it, even though you know Mississippi State's not bad on defense, but I still think Alabama can definitely uh, wear them down, no question about it. Uh, and then I wanted to, to share the basketball news with the listeners. 
Muhammad Diobate, uh, who is from Flushing, New York originally, but is with uh, uh, Put Putnam Science Academy in Connecticut. They were the national champions uh, during his junior season. He's a lefty, six foot seven, 215 pound combo forward, who some compare to Herbert Jones, a very sturdy guy, broad shouldered, who is going to be able to get even stronger in college. But, uh, you know, much like Herbie, shoots left handed. He shoots a little better from the perimeter than Herb at the same stage, but has, uh, much like Herb did, an outstanding dribbling skills and passing ability for a big man. And I think he's going to be a great combo forward in NATO's system. Could even play some point forward. Uh, he can rebound, uh, defend multiple positions. He is committed to Alabama today. He did it around 2 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, over a final uh, four. They were in, Alabama was in the final four, but he was over mainly Maryland, and then, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, and then, of course, Wake Forest was in there, too. He officially visited all three. He got offered from Alabama on August the 15th. Brian Hodgson quickly, uh, you know, built a bond with him, and they brought him in on October the 7th for his official visit. He's the fourth piece to the puzzle for Alabama basketball. It's shaping up to be a very solid class. I think they could bring in a fifth guy, but they've got five potential openings with Brandon Miller probably going to the NBA in one year. So Alabama is uh, put together a really good class. Should probably end up being about a top 15 group. Uh, you know, Sam Walters, the stretch four, committed first. R.J. Johnson here from my community in Huntsville at Grissom High. And then, of course, uh, you know, Davin Cosby a few weeks ago. And now Muhammad Diobate. So it's a really good four-man group. Not, nobody, I don't think it's a one-and-done or two-and-done talent. they got to be developed and uh, and, and grow into their roles. But I think they're very solid basketball players. Uh, and so the good, the uh, quality recruiting comes or continues for NATO's and staff. Brian Hodgson did a great job this kid, as I said, and he's a top 100 player. So another really good get for Alabama and a good fit for the system. So uh, good news on the basketball front. We'll see what happens in football recruiting. Uh, they should have a nice weekend coming up with some players like Cormani McLean. They're trying to get back on campus. Malik Muhammad so we'll see and we'll kind of follow the recruiting too and probably have some news on that for next week's BAMS radio but I want to thank Thomas Watts thank William Redfish Barger you know of course it was it was tough having to you know uh, break down this loss but again uh, Nick Saban doesn't lose many of them uh, and usually there's some positives that come out of it Alabama's always responded in the past and we'll see if this group does against Mississippi State on Saturday back in Bryant-Denny Stadium but we appreciate everybody for supporting BAMS Radio. Appreciate you for listening and, and, uh, and, 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 and of course, for, uh, and, get, and supporting us. And we always enjoy the feedback and, and, uh, and that you value our opinions on Alabama football. But good night, everybody, and we'll talk to you again next Sunday at Roll Tide.